Max, isn't it great to have all these young people here? Um, seeing that picture of like thousands of kids uh, kicked together, and then the picture I think we saw for LIT, hundreds of young people learning to lead um, and serve. You know, it's the future of the church. Um, so praise God for what he's doing. I'm just going to pop this guy down. Uh, I'm going to give it to you. Do you want to just pop it on the front chair? Uh, wow. Um, great to have you here today. So many people, so many guests. Uh, lovely to have you here. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little story about when I was a kid. Um, I uh, turned six, I think it was six or seven, whatever the age was that you could finally go to Cubs, um, I, whatever day it was that I turned six or seven, the next available Monday, I went to Cubs. This is uh, first Linfield um, that I went to as a kid. This is actually this, the Cub Hall that I went to when I was like six or seven years old. Um, this is probably 20 years later, but it looked the same. 40 years later, I'm like, what's my math like? Not that good, huh? For, let's call it 41 or two years later. It's like 20, the same. Um, and uh, I'd watch my older brother um, start to go to Cubs. He got his uniform and then he came back with all these stories of the adventures and the games they had. And, uh, and I wanted it too. And finally, it was my turn to get the uniform and to go along. Um, I went to the meetings. I got a whole bunch of badges and I learned the Cub Scout motto. Does anybody know what it is? Is it be prepared or do your best? I don't remember. Do your <laughs> Do your best and dib, dib, dib and dob, dob, dob. Wow, look at that. I'd not thought of that for a very long time. Is that what the DY, is that the dib? Is it do your best? Do our best? Who even knew when he was six? Um, so Cub, Cub Scouts are meant to teach you um, all kinds of things, how to be prepared for all kinds of things. Um, they taught me how to prepare to go camping, and I've loved you know, outdoor stuff my whole life, I think partly because of that. Uh, they taught me to sail in Western Australia. I joined Sea Scouts, and so we had this scout hall on the Swan River, and we used to wear little sailor's hats. That was fun. Um, I learned how to write an old-fashioned letter, you know, the kind where you write with a pen and you put in an envelope? And you have to put something on the front, a stamp. Um, I also learned how to wrap a parcel with brown paper and string. Never used it in my life once, but <laughs> I had to do that to get a badge. Um, I enjoyed Cubs and Scouts for five or six years, um, but what it's taught me has stuck with me all my life, and that is to be prepared. I like to be ready for what's coming up in life. I like to be prepared. I like to know that we've prepared to do our best, and, uh, and I think that's how I enjoy things the most, when they're well prepared. Um, well, our Bible passage today is all about being prepared, uh, being prepared to meet our God and King, being prepared, to, uh, being prepared for judgment, uh, being prepared for salvation. Um, There's a passage that demands our response. So why don't we pray that God will speak to us now through His Word and that He'll help us to respond in the right way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that you've caused to be written and recorded for us in the Bible. As we think about your coming kingdom and your coming judgment, help us to be prepared and to respond now to your offer of forgiveness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, if you have just joined us today, welcome. Uh, we're in the middle of our, our series uh, running through the first few chapters of the book of Matthew. And every week we've seen how Jesus has been presented as the Christ, uh, as the Messiah, as God's promised and anointed King. And it began with this genealogy where Jesus was linked uh, to the great forefathers. He sits in the family tree of King David, the son of uh, David, the son of Abraham. He's the rightful heir to the throne of God's people. And then we saw through the Christmas story uh, and Jesus' birth narrative that Jesus 
uh, birth had been long prophesied by Old Testament prophets uh, and how he fulfills all kinds of promises and prophecies from the Old Testament. Uh, But this week, we're not just going to hear that kind of prophetic word about Jesus. We're going to hear God's voice himself say that Jesus is my son. And we'll see Jesus anointed by the Holy Spirit in the moment of his baptism. Lots to look forward to. Uh, I reckon there's about four or five sermons in this passage, and I'm going to do it in one uh, with about the 19 minutes that I have remaining to me. So we'll see how I go. You can judge me afterwards. We have scorecards at the back. Some of them say $200. Some No, that's, that's for the fundraiser. Different. Let's backtrack for a moment to uh, where our passage begins. So he's got uh, the first of our three big ideas is preparing the way. Uh, John the Baptist. So our passage starts with this uh, voice calling in the wilderness, calling in the desert. Uh, This strangely dressed prophet wearing camel's hair and and eating locusts and honey. Uh, And he sort of seems to come out of nowhere if you don't know the Old Testament. He just appears in the desert. He's John the Baptist. Uh, And he's dressed like this Old Testament prophet called Elijah. Uh, One Kings chapter, uh, sorry, two Kings chapter one, you see Elijah dressed in exactly the same way. Um, And he's this very strange figure with a long awaited message. Uh, At verse two, John's message is this he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I went to high school in the, city, in the middle of Sydney's CBD. I had to walk past town hall steps every day. And uh, there was this man who would stand there on the town hall steps. Uh, he was a street preacher. Uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time, uh, but I remember him preaching about the coming of God and, and the need to ask for forgiveness. Repent, he would say. And, uh, and looking back on it now, he must have been incredibly brave um, uh, to stand there as people in business suits walked past him. And he preached and he preached and and called for repentance just in case somebody might listen and repent. Uh, I didn't listen to him. Um, I didn't. Um, It was just too out of place in the world of business and business suits and uh, briefcases. He might as well have been wearing a camel's hair coat and eating locusts and honey because he was so out of place. And that was John the Baptist too. Uh, he was out of place, this strange character who appears in the desert proclaiming the kingdom of God that, that had come near and, and that people needed to repent. But unlike the street preacher in Sydney, people flocked to John the Baptist. In verses 5 and 6, we see all kinds of people coming from Jerusalem and Judea and, and the whole region of the Jordan. All of these people flock from all over the state to come to hear this prophet in the wilderness. Uh, they want to respond to the announcement. They come to be baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, Matthew tells us that John the Baptist was one who'd been prophesied about earlier, um, 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. This little quote in the quotations from uh, Isaiah's um, book, um, 700 years earlier, we read it before in Isaiah chapter 40. So this is what he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And make straight paths for him. This voice calling in the wilderness was announcing the day that God would return, when God would come back to his people, when he would come to judge, the day when God would restore his kingdom of his people, which had been lost because of their disobedience and their sinfulness. And this is the prophecy that people were flocking to the desert to hear, the news that God was coming back. Um, after 400 years of silence where there'd been no prophetic voice, now God was once again speaking to his people through a prophet. Um, can you imagine the excitement? Um, can you imagine what you would do with that news, that God was coming, 
that you were going to meet God face to face, what would you do with that news? Second big idea, preparing hearts. Well, you see, John's message, it wasn't just the announcement that the kingdom of heaven had come near. His preaching told people what to do in response. His preaching told people what to do in response, and that is repent, turn back to God, turn your life around, turn your heart back to God, give your thoughts back to God, stop worshipping idols, give all of your praise and glory and attention and honour to God. Repent. And that word repentance was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. Martin Luther um, challenged uh, the view of repentance that was being preached in the church at the time. At the time, the church was preaching a kind of repentance that required um, acts of penitence, uh, that you do religious things in order to earn God's favor. Um, In fact, they taught that you could pay somebody to do your religious acts of penitence um, if you didn't have time yourself. Um, And so it became very transactional. Essentially, you could um, buy your way back to God. It became very legalistic. Um, But that's so far from what we see in the passage here at verse 6. Because what we see here is a kind of uh, repentance that sees people flocking to the Jordan River. And they confess their sins and they're baptized. Um, Baptism is a symbol of washing and of being cleansed. Um, In Psalm 51, when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he prayed this, he said, God, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, Uh, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Uh, Wash me and I'll be whiter whiter than snow. By confessing their sins, going under the waters of baptism, the people were recommitting their lives to God. They're wanting to start afresh. And it was interesting, right? These were people who were, uh, majority were probably God's people. They were Jewish people who'd been following God forever. But they realized there was something wrong with their hearts. And so they needed to recommit themselves to Him, to start afresh, to prepare their hearts to meet the one who would judge their inmost thoughts and their private moments. They needed to prepare to meet their God. There are others who came out to meet John as well. Um, Those who considered themselves among the religious elite. Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we, we know from elsewhere that the Pharisees prided themselves on their ability to keep all of the Old Testament laws. I've kept them all, they said. Um, they were very proud of themselves. There's another story where uh, Jesus tells about two people and one of them is a Pharisee and, he, and he's in front of the temple and there's a man who's praying and sort of saying, oh God, I've done the wrong thing. And the Pharisee prays, well, I'm glad I'm not like him and thank you that I'm not. These were people who were proud of their own achievements they were so different from those who came and confessed their sins weren't they and John he calls them out for it this is this a brood of vipers passage really um, a little bit venomous John says to them you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and and don't think you can say to yourselves well we have Abraham as our father see some of them were saying that because they've been born sons and daughters of Abraham, that is, to the Jewish people. They they were saying, well, that's enough. No, John says, no, I tell you, out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. Axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they'd got it all wrong. They, they'd been preparing religious resumes for God with all of their good deeds. Look, look at God, look at all the things that I did. Uh, look whose family I belong to. Maybe they were saying, look what church I went to. Or, you know, I grew up Anglican, something like that. They were preparing this religious resume, but what they should have been doing was preparing their hearts. 
They should have produced fruit that comes from repentance, from a repentant heart. They, they should have changed their lives to live humbly and seek after God's forgiveness, not, not to rely on their own good deeds, but on God's undeserved grace. I want to pause for a moment, just give you a moment to think about your own hearts. Uh, what kind of fruit are you producing? Are you producing fruit in keeping with repentance in your life? What would that look like for you? Come back to that word repentance. Um, it means turning around or, or turning back to. It means taking a U-turn and turning back to come back to God. Because every act of sin is an act of rebellion where we walk away from God. It's where we turn away from God. It, it says, God, I don't believe you have the best for me in your mind. When we, when we sin, we, we say to God, I don't trust that you want the best for my life. I'm, I'm going to do it my way. But repentance is turning around and, and it's turning back. When you, when you recognize a sin in your life, repentance is saying sorry and making an effort to do the right thing. You, you might not get it right, and brothers and sisters, you won't get it right. I don't. Um, you may not get it right, but if you're honestly trying, you'll know that you're turning back to God with all of your heart. It's, it's having a soft heart towards God, not a heart of stone, or not a hard heart, as the Bible puts it. Um, we got Easter coming in a few weeks. We're reminded of the death of Jesus and his resurrection, where he, where he died for our sins. How is your heart at the moment as we prepare for Easter? Is it stony or is it soft? Is it calloused or is it confessing? And to be more specific, are there areas in your life where you need to repent? We need to stop doing something that you're doing or perhaps something you've been doing for a long time. Are there areas of speech or behavior or your thought life that you know need mending? Are there things that you do with your eyes or things you do with your hands, or places your feet take you, or things you're watching, or things that you're buying? Are there things that you think about other people, or things that you say about other people that you need to stop doing? See, if God was coming back tomorrow, what would you want to confess? What would you want to confess? Because God is coming back. God is coming back. And this passage makes it abundantly clear that one day God will come to judge the living and the dead, and he'll gather up those who belong to him like wheat into the barn. But those who don't belong to him, it says, like the chaff that's useless, it'll be burned up in the fire. The axe of judgment will fall. It'll be cut down and thrown into the fire of God's wrath. And the Old Testament ended with vivid pictures of the day of the Lord. Elijah comes first, his book of Malachi. Elijah comes, followed by God's judgment. Here we have an Elijah figure in the wilderness. God's judgment is coming with Jesus' arrival. That day is made certain. So if you knew that Jesus was returning tomorrow, what would you need to fix? What would, you, what would be the fruit of repentance that you need to put into place in your life today? And, and this is interesting. I mean, this is not just talking about new Christians here. Uh, these people who've been going to John, they've been uh, probably, uh, sorry, they were going out to John to be baptized. They had been part of God's people all their lives, most of them. But they knew it wasn't enough just to belong to a people or to belong to a church. It was about their hearts and their attitude to God. And we never stop needing to hear the word about repentance. In fact, it's the first thing that Jesus says in his public ministry. If you, if you go one more chapter on into Matthew, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So the Christian life is a life of repentance. 
Um, and um, some Christians find this a bit depressing. They're like, I've been at this a long time. Surely I've got better. And God willing, you have, right? Um, and as God's Holy Spirit makes his home in our hearts, as God dwells within us, um, this is the gift that we receive when we put our trust in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. Um, we're baptized, as it puts, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're anointed with the indwelling presence of God. But even the Holy Spirit doesn't stop us from wandering from the fold of God. In that song, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. We're going to sing it right after this sermon. So the entire Christian life, it's a life of repentance. Because we'll never save ourselves. We, we, we'll never graduate from God's forgiveness. We'll never uh, stop needing Christ's forgiveness. We'll never need to stop coming to the cross. We only get saved because Christ saves us. Um, and so second idea was preparing our hearts. The third idea is preparing the Christ. Uh, does anybody know who this bloke is? Know who this is? Call it out. Billy Graham, well done. Anybody under 40 know that? Hey, three of us. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, everybody who's over 40. I'm over 40. I knew who he was because I looked it up. Um, Billy Graham, no, it's not true. I went to a Billy Graham crusade myself in the early 90s. Um, Billy Graham, probably the most influential preacher of all time, if not the most influential, certainly the one who had the greatest audience ever. Uh, he had 50 years of public ministry in his crusades. He spoke to over 215 million people face to face. Um, pretty amazing, hey? 215 million and countless more via television and radio. Um, to give you an idea of the scale, this is Billy Graham preaching in 1963 at the Coliseum in LA. 134,254 people in the stadium that day. Pretty amazing, hey? Ten years later, he would preach uh, in Seoul in South Korea to a crowd of 1.1 million people um, in a public plaza. So just to think about that impact, can you put, is there, is there anybody who went to the 1959 Crusades? No, I don't think any of us. No? Odette, you did not. <laughs> um, had family members who went to the 1959 Crusades and were converted in it? Um, I did too. Um, anybody go to a later Billy Graham crusade? Apparently in the 1959 crusades, there were about 10 million people in Australia at the time. That was a population and 3 million people turned up to go and hear the gospel presented. And 146,000 responded and gave their lives to Christ. Um, it was probably the closest thing Australia's ever had to a revival. And I want to point you back to John the Baptist time because... With this news of God's kingdom coming, this passage paints a picture of national revival uh, with repentance uh, and returning to the Lord in a way that probably hadn't happened for hundreds of years, maybe since the time of the exile when they were all kicked out for their disobedience, uh, sent away from God's uh, place. I don't think we've seen it since then, but could you imagine in the middle of this national revival, whether it's Billy Graham or whether it's John the Baptist, can you imagine Jesus turning up? Imagine if Jesus had come down when Billy says, come down now, just come. And Jesus walks down, it'll be so weird. And, and that happens exactly to John the Baptist. Um, the one he's preaching about, the one whose sandals he's not even worthy to carry, comes to be baptised. He asks for baptism. And so John tries to deter him. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptised, not you. Why are you coming to be baptised? And Jesus says, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. 
See, Jesus needed to be baptized. Somebody I heard said, um, Jesus needed to be baptized to identify with us as humans. Um, he needed to be with us in order to give us his righteousness. He needed to be like us. Um, I'm going to say something different about it in a minute. So John baptizes Jesus. Uh, and it's not like the usual baptisms where we get a kid and we sprinkle them and everybody claps or if you go down to the Minamara and we, we put you under the water and come out. When Jesus is baptized, as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water and at the moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. What is going on with the baptism of Jesus? Well, first, it was different from other baptisms because Jesus didn't need a baptism of repentance, did he? Uh, he was sinless. So why did he need to be baptized? Well, baptism is more than just an act of repentance. It's an act of submission, an act of giving yourself to God and expressing your trust in him. And in his baptism, Jesus public, publicly commits himself to God. And a part of committing himself to God is committing both his life and his death to his father. See, this baptism in the Jordan, uh, this symbolic drowning and rising again to life, uh, it points forward to Jesus' baptism on the cross where he'd face uh, the judgment that we deserve for our sins, where he would die for the sins of others and yet rise to new life. See, Jesus' baptism on the cross is at the heart of God's plan to reveal forgiveness and eternal life to all who put their trust in Jesus. And so this baptism in the Jordan, it points forward to the baptism to come on the cross. And it's fitting that Jesus begins his ministry by pointing towards where his ministry is going to end. And from there, of course, baptism becomes a symbol for all who choose to follow Jesus. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus commands the disciples. He says, go and, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's a great commission, isn't it? To go and baptize. That is to, to help people to repent and come back and give all of their life and even their death to Jesus. But for Jesus, this moment of baptism at the beginning of his ministry, it's a moment to humbly come before his Father. And it's a moment to, uh, where God confirms his son, uh, whom he loves and with whom he's well pleased. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit is there with the Father. So we've, we have the Father's voice, we have the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove, and we have the Son. It's all three members of the Trinity together saying, this is going to be our plan and revealing it to the world. This is what Jesus is going to do. And um, it's not that Jesus receives the Holy Spirit at that moment of his baptism, the same as uh, no more than you or I would receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of our baptism. That happens when we trust Jesus. A baptism is a, is a symbol that points to an inner truth uh, and that God has already chosen and empowered his son to do, to, to bring the kingdom of heaven and to undo the effects of sin. That had already happened. I think Jesus uh, had all of the fullness of the Father with him. So it's never like he was without the Spirit and it came upon him. But what we get here is Jesus prepared as the Christ and presented as God's anointed Messiah and he's ready to begin his public ministry of, of following what John said, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. But it's more than that. It's not just a story. This is actually Jesus presented as our Christ, as our King 
He's the king over our lives, a king who commands our allegiance, a king worthy of our whole lives and even our deaths, a king who calls us to come and wash, come and be washed by him for forgiveness as he lifts us out of the water, out of death even, to rise to new life, to be with him forever. See, Jesus is at the heart of baptism. He's what baptism points to. It's all about our hope and our salvation and our king. That's why we talk about Jesus so much at church. He's the one that we want to see glorified. We want to see people come and be baptized, to come and give their lives to him and to find eternal life. Uh, I think it'd be so exciting if over the next couple of years at Robbo, we see a flood of baptisms. Wouldn't that be amazing? See a flood of people coming, flocking to meet the Lord Jesus, to give their lives to him, to find out what it is that we do every week. Like, why are these people coming on a Saturday? Why are they giving money to a bake sale? What's so important about Jesus? I'd love to see that. Love to see that revival happening here in the Southern Highlands and beyond. Why don't we pray that God would do that for us? Jesus, you are God's son and we love you. We are, we are so thankful that you went to the cross to fulfill all righteousness so that you can give your righteousness to us so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be counted free through faith in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to uh, praise you. Help us to repent and turn back to you when we, when we want to turn away, when we're prone to wander. Help us to come back to you. And Father, give us great comfort of your love and your mercy and your grace. Help us to follow you every day. And Lord, we do pray for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And we pray that many, a flood of people would come to meet the Lord Jesus uh, through our kids' programs, through our youth programs, through everything we do here, through all the churches across the Shire, through the, the, the highlands and across the world, Lord. May your kingdom come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing.